Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. We have a YouTube channel now. We started posting our episodes with some cool images and videos, so you should definitely go check it out. You can find us at On Wildlife Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to On Wildlife. I'm your host, Alex Ray. On this podcast, we bring the wild to you. We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. This episode is really exciting because I'm sitting down with Mark Mandica, the co-founder and executive director of the Amphibian Foundation, to talk about some amazing amphibians, salamanders. So salamanders are an extremely diverse group. There are over 600 different species. And you may look at them and think that they're just lizards, but lizards are actually reptiles while salamanders are amphibians. Most amphibians spend part of their lives in the water and part of their lives on land. Some species, such as the axolotl, live exclusively in the water. Now, a large amount of salamanders are found in North America, but they can also be found in parts of Europe and Asia. And they like to hang out near the water and under rocks and other locations where it's kind of moist, and this is because of their skin. Salamanders need to keep their skin moist, so they can't really come out of hiding when the sun's beating down on them. This is one of the reasons why a lot of salamanders are actually nocturnal. The large number of salamander species means there's a whole lot of variety. For example, The largest salamander species is called the giant salamander. It can get up to 4 feet long and weigh around 60 pounds, while the smallest salamander, a species of pygmy salamander, is only half an inch in length. Salamanders are also carnivorous, meaning that they only eat meat. And they can eat all sorts of animals like worms, insects, and sometimes even fish depending on the species. Tiger salamanders have even been known to be cannibalistic, They eat other individuals of the same species, and research shows that they're less likely to eat other salamanders if they grew up near their relatives. And scientists think that this might be due to the fact that they're taking other individuals that aren't related to them out of the population, meaning that they're reducing the amount of competition. They want all the offspring in the population to have similar genes to them. Speaking of offspring, most salamanders lay eggs, but they don't look like the eggs of snakes and lizards. First of all, they're laid in water, not on land. And second, they don't have a hard outer shell. They kind of look like clumps of clear jelly with black dots in the middle of them, and those black dots are the embryos. And females can lay a lot of eggs at a time. Depending on the species, they can lay over 200 eggs. Some salamanders lay their eggs in places called vernal pools, and these are temporary bodies of water that are caused by rain. And these vernal pools are really important because they're temporary, meaning that fish who like to eat salamander eggs can't live there. So you've probably noticed by now that salamanders are a little weird, but it gets weirder. Certain types of salamanders, called olms, live in caves in complete darkness, and they have no pigment in their skin, and they're completely blind. The fact that they're blind may have to do with saving energy. 
They don't have to put any energy into trying to see in an environment where it's completely dark so they can spend it on other things. But they do have some really cool abilities that make up for their lack of eyesight. They can sense the electricity that other animals give off underwater, and they can also sense changes in pressure that occur in the water. Needless to say, salamanders are really cool, but there's still so much to learn. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, I'm sitting down with Mark Mandica, who's going to give us some more insights about these awesome animals. It's trivia time. What do you call mammals that lay eggs? A. Marsupials B. Primates C. Endotherms or D. Monotremes The answer is D. Monotremes The platypus and the spiny anteater are the only mammals that lay eggs. Hi Mark, how are you doing today? Doing great, happy to be here. Awesome. I really appreciate you coming on to tell us all about salamanders. All right. So let's get started. Yeah. Um, so before we actually get into salamanders, can you just talk a little bit about yourself? Uh, absolutely. You know, um, you know, I, I've focused most of my attention these days on amphibian conservation. Um, when the, Growing up, though, I, I never really saw any amphibians because I, you know, lived in suburban New Jersey. Been about <laughs> 150 years since there had been amphibians around there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how I became like this, but um, you know, it's it's my my pleasure to work with them today. That's great, um, and yeah. and you are a part of the Amphibian Foundation. So can you just talk about their mission and and what they what you do there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my my wife and I started the Amphibian Foundation just over four years ago, uh, primarily because, you know, amphibians are declining very rapidly, going extinct. And <clears throat> we felt like we, we could do more. We felt like not enough was being done. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of work happening, a lot of great work happening, but these animals are still going extinct faster than we can stop it. So we wanted to devote our attention to it uh, more directly. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's you're doing such important work right now. Um, and so Thanks. earlier in the podcast, um, I talked about how salamanders are such a, a diverse group of organisms. And I just wanted to know, are there any interesting adaptations that are common across different salamander species? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and uh, salamanders are so fascinating to us. And we realize that, you know, even in the amphibian world, frogs get a lot of the attention uh -huh. and they deserve a lot of attention. <laughs> it's just that people aren't really familiar with what a salamander is. Mm -hmm. So we spend a lot of time getting the word out about salamanders. Um, Cause once you meet a salamander, you know, you're hooked. <laughs> um, you know, one thing about them is that at least here in the Eastern United States, the majority of salamanders don't even have lungs. They, they do all their breathing through their skin you know that's part of the reason why they're so susceptible to to things that we've put into the environment because their skin is so vitally important everything is coming in and going out through their 
through their skin there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like one of the major differences you can tell between if it's like a lizard or a salamander, right? Because lizards have very scaly, scaly skin while salamander skin is a lot more smooth, right? That's exactly right. And, you know, a lot of people do confuse the two groups, lizards and salamanders, and uh, because their body shape is very similar, you know, and the, that's mostly the reason for that is because the, the ancestors to all of those animals had that same body shape. So it's just that lizards and salamanders have changed in that way the least, while the other groups have, have really changed their appearance quite dramatically. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, kind of going off of that, their skin, they have really cool uh, coloration and patterns. And it seems like this would actually kind of make them stand out a little bit instead of blending in with their environment. Is, is there mm -hmm. a reason that they have this coloration? Uh, yeah. And, and actually, the reason is just what you said. The ones with the, that bright coloration are trying to stand out. You know, they're trying to be noticed. Um, those those animals are typically more toxic than the ones that have more camouflagey colors like browns and greens. And um, salamanders with bright colors are trying to stand out and get noticed as a warning to predators. Hey, you know, you might not want to to push this and and interestingly enough a lot of the salamanders with that bright coloration are also diurnal you know they're active during the day where bright colors can be a more effective signal and some of these animals with really bright coloration actually do hide at night so um where their colors might not convey that same message really that's really interesting and you you never yeah. really even think about that you just think oh that's got a really bright color and not even second guess why they might have that. Um, yeah, there's a message in that bright coloration, and that's interesting. Yeah, and speaking of sending messages and, and communicating, um, how do salamanders communicate with each other? Do they make noises? Because I don't know if I've ever heard a salamander make any kind of noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, uh, they don't make a lot of noise. I can't say they make no noise, but... You know, you, you associate frogs with noise, like all of that uh, noc nocturnal choruses and singing. And as much as sound and songs are important to frogs, scent and chemical cues are important to salamanders. They, they do their communication through smell. It's very interesting. And they have these crazy glands that mostly are more developed during the breeding season so they can better give off and detect these scent chemicals. Um, but it's pretty fascinating. And aquatic salamanders, for example, you'll you'll see them using their tail to waft these scents towards the person they're trying <laughs> or the person, the salamander they're uh -huh. trying to communicate with. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool stuff, you know. a um, lot of smells, a lot of scent communication with these salamanders. Absolutely. And do you uh know like what are these different scents? Uh, mean are they like mating sense or like territorial um they they are mostly to, in, to my knowledge mostly like uh mating sense um to, their mm. salamanders are extremely territorial but as far as i know they convey that territoriality with you know biting and aggression um much uh. more direct you know than than a scent 
but the um the salamander species have a choreography to their mating that involves scent and this very predictable choreographed breeding courting complex um that's all meant to to make sure that they're the male and the female are are on the same page they want to go ahead and do this pretty amazing in that way that's that's pretty crazy very Mm -hmm. interesting too Mm -hmm. um so one of the most well-known salamanders is probably the axolotl. Um, and uh, one of their defining characteristics is that they have some kind of like protrusions behind their head. Do you know what those are used for? Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. And we can, we can talk about this for a while. So just cut me off when you've heard enough, <laughs> but the, uh, the protrusions are gills and actually all or almost all salamanders have those. It's just that most salamanders metamorphose and then their gills are resorbed at metamorphosis. So you think of the gills as like salamander tadpoles. And again, almost every species has that, but then they metamorphose and lose the gills and become terrestrial salamanders, whereas axolotls and some other really weird, fascinating salamanders never metamorphose they retain those gills for their whole lives so they look like tadpole salamanders for their for their whole life and so that's a phenomenon known as pedamorphosis it's an alternative to metamorphosis where the adults retain the juvenile characteristics it's really really weird that is so, really I don't weird. Know. <laughs> it's cool it's cool right there's other yeah. things like mud, mud puppies if you've ever heard of them uh-huh. that's another uh group of salamanders that are the same as axolotls they don't ever metamorphose so it's crazy and because of that, they are mostly aquatic for their whole lives? Correct. So, exactly. Whereas most salamanders are aquatic in the larval stage, and then they metamorphose and become terrestrial. But axolotls and mud puppies and some of the other pedomorphic salamanders stay aquatic. They keep the gills so they can live aquatically, and they have uh, uh, fin folds on their tails that and you know they're built for aquatic life. That's, that's really cool. And uh, are they so I've also read that they can regenerate their limbs. Does that have to do with the fact that they stay in that larval stage or. It it doesn't. So that has been investigated really well in axolotls, but also in another species of newt um, and that can also regenerate. And, you know, it's probably more common in salamanders, but it hasn't been studied um to to my knowledge let's see i can think of other species that haven't been studied but just anecdotally i've seen them regenerate their limbs and tails too um and so it's just something that salamanders can do uh it's very interesting for human researchers because we want to be able to do that yeah. and we can't <laughs> <laughs> so so it's been investigated a lot but an axolotl can lose its limb at the shoulder and regrow the whole arm and hand and fingers again. Wow. You know, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people are trying to recreate that in humans, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. No, not anytime <laughs> no. soon. Um, so uh, how are salamanders uh, important to the ecosystems that they live in? Yeah. Thank, thank you for asking that question. And that is one I like to address uh, a lot because it's hard to get people excited about conserving these um, 
endangered amphibians when they don't understand the, the vital role that they play. You know, so first think about this. Um, here in the southeast, there is a uh, tiny species, the redback salamander. It's the most common amphibian in Metro Atlanta and, and lots of other ecosystems as well. And it has more biomass than all of the birds and mammals combined. It's just that they're hiding, they're hidden, they're under stuff. You don't know they're there, but not only are they there, but they account for more weight than all the mammals and birds combined. <laughs> wow. And so they're, they have a huge biological presence in these systems and they're there and they're eating tons of bugs, you know, so think about, you know, all some of them specialize in eating mosquitoes, but uh, a thousand of them eat 5 million bugs every year. Okay. So that's crazy. They're out there doing a lot of work for us behind the scenes uh, without really us knowing much about them at all. That's, that's really vital to the ecosystem. And, and if you yeah. don't like bugs, you know, they should be thanking salamanders for that. They should be thanking salamanders, you know, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and you said before, um, salamanders and other amphibians are especially susceptible to changes in their environment. Can you just talk a little bit about the challenges that they're facing right now? Oh, yeah, there's there are so many, um, you know, that that's part of the reason why. 43% of the world's amphibians are, are documented as either in decline or already extinct. Okay. Um, and, and from everywhere, you know, and, and part of it is their skin, you know, is one of the more vital organs that amphibians have, you know, you'll never see a frog drink. They're, they're absorbing everything right through their skin. Uh, and we already mentioned these salamanders are breathing through their skin, but um, amphibians in general do some degree of respiration right through their skin. Um, but salamanders, some salamanders do 100% of it. So, you know, there's a lot and they're absorbing it and they're reacting. So there's compounds, chemicals, contaminants that we've put into the environment that's being absorbed into the amphibians and, and they're responding. They've been responding since it's been being studied since the eighties, you know, uh -huh. they're below EPA level limits of, of agricultural chemicals that are, you know, that are, are deemed safe, you know, are causing these massive deformities and die offs in, uh -huh. in the amphibians. And, you know, it's a feminizing them It's turning male uh, amphibians into female amphibians. Really? Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big problem. So, and that's just, you know, that's just one, you know, and then we have habitat loss, obviously that's a huge problem for amphibians. Um, they're just losing habitat, uh, very rapidly, uh, invasive species is a tremendous, uh, impact on amphibians, particularly cats, you know, people's cats and, and now feral cats are outside killing hundreds of millions of amphibians every year, hundreds of millions. Wow. That's just too many amphibians to be killed uh, by, you know, an invasive species like a cat. And so, and actually the list list goes on and on there are, there are infectious diseases that are killing a lot of amphibians and and some of them are even killing you know these amphibians in pristine environments where there's very little development there's there's still 
there's still a lot of uh, devastation there. So the story is pretty bleak because there are so many different documented causes of amphibian decline. Yeah, and obviously the numbers are declining and they're vital to the ecosystems that they live in. Um, and and yeah. this is going to be my last question, but um, mm -hmm. is there anything that the average person can do that can help with the conservation of these animals? Uh, yeah, they're actually... We um, we focus a lot on just answering that question because, you know, we we I just told talk to you about a whole bunch of depressing stuff. And it's important <laughs> to to be able to direct people that are concerned uh, to what what you can do. You know, so we actually on our on our site, we have a lot of resources just for that. Um, but off the top of your head, you know, of course, uh, amphibian conservation groups like ours and others are always in need of funding. So I got to yeah. say that, you know, if you want to contribute directly, uh, we have a membership program as well. But there's a lot of stuff that you can do in your neighborhood. You know, it doesn't have to be on a global scale or a, a country scale. You know, there are things you can do to make your yard more amphibian friendly. We have resources for that off of our website as well. And a, a direct link to our blog, which I'll just say it's backyard.frogsneedourhelp.org. That link will take you directly to a resource. Uh, a growing list of resources that I've been putting together probably for 10 years about ways to make your yard more amphibian friendly and wow. things you can do to do to encourage amphibian. Because if you're encouraging amphibians, you're also encouraging other wildlife too. Um, and so it's a resource for that. There's lots of uh, community science programs too, like Frog Watch. If you want to spend, you know, an hour a month, monitoring amphibians in your area and contributing that data to a larger program. Look up Frog Watch. Um, but again, on our main website, amphibianfoundation.org, we go through um, a list of those ways that you can get further involved. That's, that's really great. And I personally would love to have a bunch of amphibians in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's great, you know, and uh, we live in uh, in uh, Atlanta, so we don't actually have that much uh, amphibian uh, bio, uh, going on in our yard, but we, we encourage what we can for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You brought us some amazing and important insights into the lives of salamanders, so thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. Thank you very much for inviting me. That was such an amazing interview, and I think we all learned how important salamanders are to the structure of our ecosystem. We can all do our part to help these animals, and that starts by supporting organizations like the Amphibian Foundation that are working towards their conservation. Two other organizations that you should definitely check out after looking at the Amphibian Foundation are Save the Salamanders and Foundation for the Conservation of Salamanders. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of salamanders. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we reference at www.onwildlife.org. And that's On Wildlife. Listening to On Wildlife with Alex Ray, brought to you every Wednesday.